0: Our sermon today comes to you from Cross Point Community Church in Binghamton, New York, and is titled "This Is Eternal Life." I want to I want to begin today by just I, I like to just share some things on my heart as I get as I make my way into the Word and see what the Father would say to us in the moment. Um, I want you to know that I'm not here today. To agitate your peace. Um, I'm here to hopefully to add to your peace. I don't, I think sometimes we come in and we hear the word and we we've if you were conditioned in church the way that I was, if you weren't a little bit agitated, you didn't get the truth, you know. I I, I grew up in environments that said, Well, I didn't aim for your toes, I was aiming for your heart, but if I stepped on your toes you know, then uh, just know I was aiming for your heart, but just t- take it that I love you. And it kind of gave you carte blanche to get up and just beat people to death. As long as before you dismissed them, you said, well, I was loving you. You could take a good punching spiritually, but I was loving you. And so then anything goes. Um, I'm not here to punch you spiritually. I'm not here to agitate your peace spiritually. However, I do know that when you get introduced to Jesus, sometimes some things get agitated. They get shook up a little bit. Mindsets begin to shift. The way you feel about things can come into question. Some of your thought processes, some of your ideologies, they meet up next to Jesus or with Jesus and things sort of begin to change. So um, the, the buckle up analogy is probably appropriate. I liked your second one though, relax. Follow up, I'll follow up the buckle up with your follow up. Relax and enjoy the presence of the Lord because the presence of the Lord is wherever you are. He is with you. He is with us right here. He is in our midst. Jesus told us that if two or three gather in in my name, I'll be in the midst of them. The reality is, is that was revolutionary for his day because under rabbinic traditional code, there had to be 10 Jewish men in a room reciting the Torah for the presence of God to be in the room. I did not, I was not being just gender in specific there either. There had to be 10 men in a room reciting Torah for the presence of God to be in their midst. Jesus says, if just two or three, and I don't think he meant the number two or the number three. I think he meant it the way we say, if just some of you, if if, if just a few of you, it was a general statement. If just a few of you are there, I'll be in the midst. He was bringing what had been this closed off group and he was shattering all of the edges so that everybody got to come in. So no edges today. No, no, no people that are qualified and people that don't qualify. Everyone qualifies to enjoy the presence of the Lord. So I want to help ease your peace today. Really, I feel a call everywhere we go to look at God's people and do what I can to remove the grave clothes off of people that are resurrected. Everyone in this place, you've begun your resurrection. I know when we think of resurrection, we think of a body coming out of the ground. And I'm not trying to take that away from the definition, but I want to expand it for a second. Resurrection is more than when a body comes out of the ground. Romans chapter 6, Paul said, as many of us as have been baptized into Christ, have been baptized into his death, therefore we walk, we are raised, not we will be raised, we have been raised in a newness of life. Which means that when I come to Christ, I come in through the cross, I die to what I used to be, so that I'm resurrected The beginning of my resurrection happens. I like to say it this way. The beginning of your resurrection happens at your water baptism. When you go into his death and you come out of that water, Paul in Romans 6 says right there, you raise up in a newness of life. But that's not the finish of your resurrection. That's the start of your resurrection. The fullness of your resurrection will be somewhere out there. The ongoing reality of your resurrection is in here, not just in the building, but in this life. And so we are not a people who are waiting to live someday. And if our Christianity gets reduced, and I use the right word there, if it gets reduced to life after death, well, I don't know how we're going to experience abundant life, which is our destiny. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and that you might have it more Abundant I don't know how you're going to experience abundant life If the most exciting thing about your christianity is someday you get to die Someday I get to die and I get to go home and be with jesus and I am looking forward to going home and being with jesus I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand I'm looking forward to whatever it looks like when I go get to be with jesus But i'm also loving the journey with jesus Before I go home and get to be with jesus and that's because i've had a revelation of my own resurrection i know that my fullness is coming but i know it has begun and what i believe god's put us out here on the road doing in this season is pulling the grave clothes off of resurrected people and i mean you you are in the stages of your resurrection but in so many of our conditions we're like lazarus you remember in john 11 when jesus says Roll the stone away from the door, and they go, Jesus, we can't roll the stone away. He's been dead four days. He stinks. In other words, he's really dead. Jesus waited until he was really dead. He goes, you know, you roll the stone away from the door, Lazarus come forth, and when Lazarus comes out of the grave, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, Now you loose him and let him go. And I think that mandate's still effective today. Our job is to loose people and let them go. So every time I get the privilege to stand in front of resurrected people, I hear the voice of Jesus saying, loose them and let them go. This is your job. And so I'm not here to agitate your peace or to wrap you up in guilt, wrap you up in shame, wrap you up in condemnation. I'm here to try to release you from guilt and shame and fear and condemnation. I can't do it all, I don't claim to be able to, You're going to need more voices than mine. I might be one of the voices, but I'm not the only voice. There'll be a thousand voices that speak into your life. And I would recommend that you stop listening to the ones that put more bandages on you. If they're putting more bandages on you and you feel worse when you get done listening than you did when you started, maybe start to find some voices that pull grave clothes off of you. They don't make you more uneasy. They, take away, they, they add to your peace. They give you more room to breathe, more room to expand, more room to grow. That's all I hope to do today is to give you room to grow, room to expand, room to be at peace. I know we haven't read any scripture, but we've already started preaching. That's the way this works, right? You, you, don't, you don't have to formalize it. Here's a title. Here's some scripture. Now we're going, but rather just letting the Holy Spirit prepare all of our hearts. And so, Be prepared as the Holy Spirit does the band-aid removal and just pulls the bandages off to release us into the liberty of what it means to be the sons and daughters of God. I think it's your destiny. I'm infatuated, radically infatuated with the radical love of God. I am convinced He must greatly love His creation. Love us, not not only convinced of His love for us because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, yes, but convinced of His love for us in that Jesus, in that same 10th chapter of John where He said, I've come that you might have life and you might have it more abundant, at the end of that chapter He says, the Father has given me to give eternal life unto whomever I will, and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. And there's Jesus putting us inside of His hand Putting, putting us into the hand that will is about to be nail-scarred. It's not yet nail-scarred in John 10, but he puts us into his hand so that when the nail goes through the hands of Jesus, it takes everything bad about me with it. It passes, it passes through the whole world that he loves. No man can pluck them out of my hand the nail that goes driving through my hand will grab whatever's in you and whatever's bad and whatever's deadly and whatever's wicked and whatever's filthy and whatever's vile and whatever's old and whatever's the first Adam and it'll, it'll run it through the blood of Jesus into the tree so that where you were messed up by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden, you'll be redeemed as it's nailed into the tree of life in Christ Jesus I like that. i like that. I've never said that before Not like that. I like that No, man will pluck me out of his hand. So I'm right there. You're right there. That's the place you want to be You want to be where the nail hits the flesh? Because the truth is is the nails gonna hit your flesh, but it'd be better if it hits you and Jesus I mean, the world's going to nail you, right? Something's going to nail you. Pain, heartache, misery, abuse, neglect, abandonment, guilt, shame, condemnation, fear. Insert your issue or your 10 issues or your 1,000 issues if you're being honest. It's going to nail you. Best to be in his hand so that when it nails you, it goes through Jesus. Jesus. So you're a resurrected people today. I greet you, the resurrected sons and daughters of the King. You've begun your walk. It is not finished, but it has started. And I would be out of the hand of my Father if I tried to do anything to add to your burden or add to that nailing. And I think would be close to the heart of the Father to relieve you of that burden, and to relieve you of that necessity. Go with me to John. I've already quoted you a couple of John verses, but I'll meet you in John 17. I want to begin this afternoon, well, we've are, as I said, we've already begun. But I want to begin my reading this afternoon, and we're going to read a few verses, but we're only going to read one right here. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying for himself. And in the midst of a prayer for himself, Jesus says this, This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I think it is fascinating that at the top of the verse, Jesus gives the definition to eternal life. And that's not fascinating. What's fascinating is that this has been in our Bibles for hundreds of years. And yet, if you ask the average Christian, what is eternal life? They will not answer John 17, 3. They will answer eternal life is getting to live forever. Forever in a place called heaven. Eternal life is life that never ends. Eternal life starts when you die and goes on forever. Or they might say eternal life is what everybody has. Some people are just gonna suffer forever in flames in their eternal life. And some people are going to rejoice forever in heaven in their eternal life. You'd get a half a dozen theologically based answers and rarely get a John 17 three. Now I find that fascinating seeing as it's in all of our bibles and it's not a real complex definition so let's read it again what's eternal life that you may know god and jesus christ whom he sent for jesus eternal life is getting to know the father through the son that's eternal life that's the whole definition and the reason why it doesn't flow for us it doesn't work for us it doesn't scratch our itch to understand the eternal. is because we have changed our definition of eternal. Okay. I'm going I'm to state the obvious, all right? I don't mean to insult intelligence. So I've set it up front that I'm stating the obvious. So if this is way beneath where, if, if, if you didn't need this, that's okay. Maybe someone will watch someday that needs the next two minutes. Okay. The Bible was not written in English. The Bible was not written 400 years ago, commissioned by King James of England for the white, English-speaking Western Hemisphere. Okay, that's basic number one. Basic number two, the Old Testament and the New Testament were not written in the same language, and almost none of the books were written by the same pen. Different people, different contexts, different times, different places, different cultures, different ideas, even about God. But like a lot of preachers, talking about the same God through different instruments. And thus, the different books of the Bible. Old Testament, written primarily in Hebrew. New Testament, written primarily in Greek. Because yes, there's an exception word here or there in both Testaments, but for the most part, 99.9% of the Old Testament written in Hebrew, 99.9% of the New Testament written in Greek, not English. Here's where it gets a little deeper. That's just basic, right? Here's where it gets a little deeper. The New Testament writers are writing in Greek, out of Aramaic, to a Hebrew-speaking people. Ah, three layers. We ain't even to English yet. English would be the fourth layer translation would be the fifth layer culture time place date and setting and race would be the sixth layer you're far removed in other words from where it starts jesus doesn't speak greek he speaks aramaic to a hebrew people who then copy it down in greek and you got to use greek words and greek words and hebrew words don't mean the same thing greek ideology and hebrew ideology don't mean the same thing and how many of you realize First century Judaism ideology and 21st century American Christian ideology don't mean the same thing, right? Okay, what did it mean to them? Because I already told you what it means to us. If I go around and ask people what's eternal life, I go, well, living forever with Jesus in heaven. It didn't mean that in the first century, not when they walked, talked about eternal, because we've made eternity a clock thing in a world in which this was written they didn't have clocks do we realize that simple fact sometimes i don't think we do cuz i'll watch like shows like that are streaming and they'll be in the roman empire and there's a clock on the wall and i'm thinking i don't I'm not really sure I'm not really sure what time machine brought that clock back from the middle ages and hung it over caesar's mantle like he has a fireplace as well, which seems a bit out of place. So I, I know this is a simple little thing, but it's one of the things I don't think we think about a lot. They, we live in a time-bound world. They lived in a world of epochs, not clocks. And, and and what I mean by that is they thought in terms of era, not in terms of hour. Which is why their definition of, say, end of the age would be different than our definition where we think that means end of the world. But for them, that was the end of the things as we know it. And that's eventually going to come to an end. They, they use the word eternity, not in a time-bound sense because they didn't think in time-bound ways. We use the word eternity to mean quantity. They use the word eternity to mean quality. And so for them, the word eternal didn't mean forever. It meant the life of the ever after. If I were to say to you, Do you know eternal life? It would have been a question meaning is your life? Transcendent from where it used to be are you living the life of God? If you have eternal life, you're living God's life now You're getting to live on this earth what you expect to get to live in that earth and if eternity is merely time That's why we don't think we have eternal life until we die. Because then it's life that never ends. But in the context in which Jesus says it, it has nothing to do with living after you die, and it has to do with living while you're alive. Which brings me to this thought. So many Christians that I talk to have prayed the prayer, been baptized, They might even recite the creed take the eucharist go to church pay their tithes read their bible but they're not living i mean they're not really living they're just existing to get to heaven they're going through the steps they think they are required to go through because they signed up to be a christian and this is what we do in the christian club in the christian club we attend this many times. We read these writings. We, give, we pay our dues. We sing the club song. We show up to the meetings. We volunteer in the community. We get, our payoff may not be now. We say things like this. We may not get it right now, but someday over in the glory land, we're going to get our payoff for all the things we're putting into it now. And it's really like an interest-bearing account We keep paying into and not getting any returns until the CD matures and it matures the day Your heart stops beating and that's how we preach the gospel someday your heart will stop beating and then you get to cash in On eternal life all the stuff you gave up down here. You get to go party it up over there Now I know we got various ways of interpreting that but I'm pretty close I've been in church 46 years I've been in an active preacher house for 46 of it. Raised in a pastor evangelist house, started preaching at 15. I've seen some stuff. I've met a lot of Christians, and I don't doubt that they're Christian, but I haven't met a ton of people living. Just a lot of people surviving. Fingers crossed. I've watched men of God and I have no doubt in my heart they are men of God on their deathbed tremble just before they draw their last breath and say I hope I've done enough to make it home. And that's not just an anomaly a here or there. That's a position for those of us who have heard of eternal life as a thing to be had someday when we die. We think in terms of length, they thought in terms of quality, but according to Jesus, what was it? This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Knowing God, hear this, this is important. Knowing God... Is not the way to eternal life knowing God is eternal life we need to stop thinking about eternity as something that we go get and start thinking of eternity as something we have because of Christ knowing God doesn't get you eternal life knowing God is eternal life the journey of knowing it Okay, so why are we not living it then if we have it? Why are we not living it? well, if knowing God and Jesus which means knowing Jesus is knowing God Okay, let me rewind that for a moment if knowing God and knowing Jesus is eternal life and knowing Jesus is knowing God then If we're not living eternal life, we must not know God Looks like jesus And we've got a dichotomy between what we see in god and what we love about jesus I I didn't say that wrong I said it the way I meant it, but it just doesn't hit our ear correctly. Let me try again. I'll I'll change the wording There's a difference Between what most of us think about God and how God feels and who God is. And how we feel about Jesus. And this shows up in the fact that we, when we hear people talk about God, we're quick to point out the differences in God and Jesus So we can hopefully win them over to the better side of God Because we got this idea about God is full of wrath and justice and he's angry and he's Gonna blow the world up any second now but Jesus is The calm side of God the cool side of God Jesus is the other side of the pillow Anybody? No one? Too much 90s sports center there. Jesus is cool like the other side of the pillow. Okay, if you don't know what I'm talking about, flip it at 3 o'clock in the morning. If you haven't tried that, your sleep's about to just revolutionize. Wake up in the middle of the night, flip that pillow, go, this is like getting saved, man. This is like getting born again. I'm sorry for my little interlude there. That's just my style. I get get a little lost in some things once in a while. All right, forget about that pillow stuff. All right, let me throw all that out. Let's try something else. But if we see God as distant and cold and angry, and we've even churched it up and said, well, no, that's just God under the old covenant. Like that gets God off for being murderous and terrible. We go, "Well, well, he's under the old covenant. He had to be that way. That's the covenant he was under. So, so if he's under a covenant where he's got to kill people, then his hands are tied. he just got to kill people. I mean, that's, that's how God's got to work. And then, and then in that school of thought, Jesus comes along to go, okay, we're going to change the way this game's played. Dad and I've talked it over. That didn't work. We're going to try something else. And now you might think I'm out there in left field, but I'm telling you, the theology exists and is pretty strong I don't mean it's strong as in it's got a good foundation. I mean it's strong as in people are yelling it loudly. That God tried the law and the law didn't work and so he brought himself into the world. And I fundamentally disagree. God wasn't just throwing darts against the cosmic wall going, well, maybe this will work. Let's try Noah's boat. He goes, ah, they're still evil. Look at them. Let's try, let's try Mosaic Law. Thou shalt not. Ah, look at them, they built a golden calf, those little devils. Let's try Temple Judaism. Sacrificial systems. Priests and incense and tithes and offerings. We'll try that. That'll save. I do not believe that God... Changes and morphs over time with how he deals with his people and how he loves us. God is the same Jesus Christ the same yesterday today, forever if you can be convinced that Jesus is God then God is the same yesterday today and forever So when Jesus shows up on the scene You are looking at what God always looked like and the reason they missed it then is the reason we miss it now Because we're convinced of a God that doesn't exist And Jesus stands opposite of that God and we look at Jesus and go well, I don't know Just show us the father Remember John 14 Just show us the father and that'll be sufficient. Jesus goes if you see me You've seen the father. You want to know what dad looks like. Look at me You want to know what dad loves like watch me. You want to know what dad judges like watch me. I Hope this shakes some of our perceptions about God Because they need shaken. Hebrews says that which should be shaken will be shaken. Okay, great. Shake whatever needs to be knocked down in me, Father. And if what needs to be knocked down in me is a golden calf version of you that doesn't look like Jesus, then knock that thing down. Why are we disciples of Christ? Because Christ comes along as the express image of the Father. He is what God looks like. I'm, I'm taken with Jesus. I, I have a head full of theology. I do. I'm not always proud of that. Um, that's gotten me in as much trouble as it's helped me, but to be honest. Head full of theology. Mm. But at this season of my life, what's exciting to me is I'm, I'm having a heart full of this resurrected, ascended and enthroned Descended into my heart, Jesus. The Jesus that loves me unconditionally and never condemns me, but the Jesus who holds my hand through hell and chaos and all of it of my own doing, walks into the valley of the shadow of death with me, walks into my darkness, walks into my problems, expects the whole truth out of me, demands it, and when I give it to him, hugs me, holds me, loves me, reveals his Father. I'm finally living. I was raised in christianity, but i'm finally living. I accepted christ as my savior As six years old The 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 churchy way Now I want to explain that let me please i'm not cutting it down, but I did it the churchy way the churchy way was Every one of you in here are going to die and burn in hell forever and ever and jesus came So you don't have to would you like to accept jesus? So you don't burn in hell after you die? And I was six years old and I went, that's that's enough for me. I I don't know what hell is, but that sounds horrible. So I'm gonna go up there and I'm gonna pray whatever they tell me to pray and I'm gonna give my heart to Jesus, okay? Now I'm not in any way insinuating that I didn't put faith in Christ, but I put faith in Christ as a fire escape plan. I was buying my insurance at six. That was my encounter with God. I Was but there's no other way for me to say it to you. I was buying fire insurance with my life at six I Dedicated my life to Jesus because he was the only way out of the fire and so I give you my life and that won't stick I'll tell you why it won't oh it might stick as far as fire insurance goes But ain't nobody runs to work and brags on their fire insurance policy because you guys aren't going to believe what I bought this weekend. I mean, I, I got to tell you guys. They will give you money if your stuff burns. You guys want to sign up? Because this is inc- at the low, low cost. Now, I'm only saying that to you because that's the reason I say that doesn't stick. Because I'm not, I'm not motivated. That's not living the life of God. That's an insurance policy. So, I've had to come to Christ multiple times in my life. And what I mean by that is I've been born again over and over and over and over again in this walk. I've been born into the new reality of God's love for me. I've been born into the reality of the radical grace of God. I've been born into the knowledge that His His judgment was my judgment and My condemnation has been taken away in Jesus that Christ was made to be sin for me so that I could be made the righteousness of God I've had to have that born-again experience over and over again. So I've been born again more times than I know to count Because I keep repenting And repenting means change your mind And every time I get confronted with Jesus, I have to change my mind about God Jesus forces me to repent. Let me say that in a way as gracie as I can say it Jesus forces me to repent by revealing to me how good the Father is through the Son. And that makes me change my mindsets about a God that I had created. And this is why I encourage all of you, repent daily. Repent means change your mind. Every day go back to the Father and look for Jesus. And when you find Jesus, let Him show you an area of your life that you've misrepresented His Father. And repent of it. And Father, I changed my mind about that. That version of you didn't look like Jesus. I'm going to take a, just a baby step into liberty here. Just, I'm going to try this, all right? And I don't want to, I don't want to mess with your eschatology or your end of the world stuff. I'm not here to teach that. Or, or, or improve on it, or worsen it, or anything. I'll just say this. If how you think this all goes down doesn't look like the Jesus of the Gospels, you're wrong about how this all goes down. Amen. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know any other way to say it, but if Jesus is here at the end... Okay, you got that one up there? that stained glass window, I will come again. If Jesus is here when it's all over with, he's the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's the same forever. So, if the Jesus that comes again doesn't look like the Jesus that left, you're reading it wrong. All right, do with that what you will. Okay, you can land wherever you want to land in the 50,000 ways of eschatological theology. I don't care. But Jesus didn't change for over the course of 2,000 years in heaven. He looked down here and went, man, this ain't working either. And he went, okay, well, what are we going to do? Let's go ball the devil's tricks. And let's go blow some people up. Let's go back down there and just set stuff on fire because that's what the devil would do. And hey... If it works for the devil do we realize what we're doing to jesus do we realize what we're doing to god so land where you want to land i'll not argue with you i'll not fight with you but don't you dare try to tell me that the jesus that comes back has suddenly morphed into a darker version than the jesus that left because i don't serve that jesus to me jesus is non-negotiable I will argue, negotiate, wrestle, laugh, and have fun about anything. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. I'm right about Jesus. How do you know? Great question. Oh no, I'm not right about everything I see Jesus say, why he said it, who he said it to. I'm not right about culture and context. I don't understand his Aramaic and his Greek. I can work with it and wrestle with it and study it, but I'm not serving Jesus philosophically or theologically or principally I've had a revelation of Jesus that is real to my heart to be wrong about Jesus I must be wrong about my own experience with Jesus and I cannot argue with you about your experience so when it comes to the Jesus I've met I'm right about Jesus for me I don't lay that out and say, okay, then the next five or six things I say about Jesus, you've got to believe. No. But I've had a revelation of the man who walks the road to Emmaus, who reveals himself in the Old Testament. And I can't read my Bible the same way anymore. And I can't land in the same spots anymore because of that Jesus. Jesus. In John chapter 5 let me add to this just a little bit. In John chapter 5 verse 39 John 5 39 you search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I want you to In light of what we've said about eternal life from John 17, 3, I want you to plug that back in to verse 39. Remember, eternal to Jesus is not living forever. It's living the life of God. You search the scriptures because you think that you could find the life of God in your Old Testament. Now, I know I added a couple of words there. The reason I did that is because the word scripture would have been Old Testament for them. Hebrew Bible. They don't have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Romans, Acts, Galatians, Ephesians, Revelation. What do they have? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jesus is saying when you read that, what we would call Old Testament, when you read that, you think you can find God. I'm just reading Jesus here. You think that if you read this part right here, you can find God. However, You're not willing to come to me To have life what life eternal life. What's eternal life that you may know god Jesus says you think that by reading the bible you can find god. You're not willing to come to me to find god Which tells me you can't find god In the old testament Oh, yes, you're gonna find stories about god In the old testament But you're not going to find the life of god In the old testament You need Jesus. You know what amazes me? And I mean genuinely amazes me. Not like preacher amazement, but like literal amazement. Is how unpopular what I'm telling you about Jesus is to most Christians. It's so unpopular to tell people what Jesus told them in John 5 you search the Bible thinking you can find God you won't come to me to find God to find God to find eternal life would be to know God and to know God would be to know me because if you know me, you know God if you know God, you know eternal life you get to taste of the life of God on earth if you come in through Jesus that is radically unpopular in Christian circles because we think that it's an attack against the Bible we think that 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 preacher is attacking the Old Testament as being inauthentic. No I'm attacking our faith in a book to bring us life You don't find God reading Old Testament scriptures you find God in Jesus and I wonder when we come to Christ Why did we bother to come to Christ? I? mean if you thought you could find God without Jesus good luck hunting But you've met Jesus, and Jesus radicalized you. Jesus impressed you. Jesus blew the doors off. Jesus was different than anything you'd ever seen. And when you came in, if you came in because of fire insurance, you stayed in because you met Jesus. What happened is you saw how Jesus dealt with people, how He loved people, how He forgave people. How he was merciful to people. And you went, wow, what a world we would live in if it looked like Jesus looked. Straight as the gate narrows the way. Here's a timeout. This, this is a left turn. Okay? I'm just warning you. Away, your GPS is about to tell you to turn around. Get back on the trail because you're preaching a sermon and you've got to get to your destination. Ignore the GPS for a second. This is off topic. All right? At least I warned you. So you didn't wonder, why is he meandering over here into this? So now you know. A, we need to go down that road. Straight is the gate that leads into life, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads into destruction, and many there be that go their own, right? One of our favorite verses about the fact that only a few people get to go to heaven, and everybody else is going to go to hell. That's one of the that's one of our favorite passages about not very many people are saved. And we'll take that even farther and go, even a bunch of people that think they're saved aren't saved. Those people over there at their church, they're not really saved. Those people down there at that church, they're not really saved. That guy goes over there, he's really not saved. We go over to Christian TV and channel go, not saved, not saved, click not saved, click not saved. Click not saved. Look at that building, look at how he's dressed, look at what he said. look I saw this on Twitter. Not saved, not saved, not saved, not saved. Why? Because straight as a gate narrows away, few there be that find it. Can't be very many of us on there, but I know I'm there. Notice that. It's always, we're always there. Easy to spot people that aren't there, because we're there. And if you're on that trail, you just look around and go, well they're not on here with me. So if they're not on here with me. They must be over there, because what's over there? Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go there on, that means there's a whole bunch of people. So they're a lot easier to spot. So you can go, that guy's got, he's probably on that wide way. He's probably on that wide way. Yep, they're definitely on that wide way. Easy to meet. Easy to figure out. Did you know what the verse is right in front of that in the Gospel of Matthew? You know, the interpretive key to that verse, this is mind-blowing, the verse in front of it helps understand that verse. I know that's a mind-blowing, mind-blazing hermeneutic of biblical study called read the verse that came in front of this because that might be a key as to who's on what road And here's the verse that comes in front of it Do unto others You knew the verse before I even got it all the way out of my mouth How'd you know that because you've been quoting it, but you haven't been quoting it with its buddy? You haven't been quoting it with its companion. You've been quoting him all by himself. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. And you know where you've been quoting it? In six-year-old Sunday school. For three-year-olds, that's not popular, fun, adult preaching. You don't get up and preach do unto others you'd have them do unto you. You're supposed to know that when you're a little tyke. You don't need to know that when you're big. And I think we need a revival of do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. For of such is the law and the prophets. Oh, in other words, of such is that whole Old Testament. What it's trying to do is get you to treat other people the way they wish you'd treat them. Like in other words, don't commit adultery and don't murder and don't steal and don't covet after them. That'd be a good idea because you don't like it when people do that stuff to you. So it'd be a good idea if you didn't do that stuff to people. And just in case you want to know how popular that verse is, straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads unto life, and very few of you are going to do it. Do what? Unto others. As you have them do unto you. And most of us are going to say, forget that. It doesn't work in the real world. I'm going to do to people the way they deserve to be done to. Or, number two, I'm going to do to people before they can do to me. Or number three, I'm going to do to people way more than they did to me so they think twice about ever doing that to me again every one of the ways i just described are the ways of the world jesus said broad is that way it'll lead to your destruction because if you live by the sword you'll die by the sword straights the gate narrows away few people find it but if we try it it'd look like jesus now i told you that was a left turn didn't have anything to do with it but in reality it does because in reality it's jesus It's the life of Christ in the world. The life of Christ is to live the love, here it is, to live the love of his father in front of his friends, in front of his enemies, so that he just might make his enemies into his friends. So the test of loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is loving your neighbor as yourself. And the test of loving your neighbor as yourself is loving your enemy. So that as, the, as we go out and find the worst of them, we bring them in, we bring them in, and it begins to resemble Jesus. So that take you from a place of theology, knowing Scripture? to knowing Jesus. In a way, the book of Acts, the story of Saul of Tarsus turning into the apostle Paul, that major transformation, in a way it's a microcosm of the transformation we go through from a journey of theological knowledge to a heart inflamed with Jesus. Because Saul had theological knowledge, but he had met Jesus. And when he met Jesus, all the theological knowledge could serve his future but it could only serve it as fertilizer. Paul said, everything I've done I consider dung. What's dung? Okay, you don't have to say it. It's, I gave you the cleanest version of it. Paul said, everything I've done I consider as dung. What's, what, what good is dung in a garden? Fertilizes the future of something else. So everything you went through in all of your theology and all your religion can actually be used to pull grave clothes off the next person. Because what you can do is share with them the journey you've came from death unto life and the journey you're on, on daily repentance is transforming your mind about who God is so that you can help pull the grave clothes off of someone else. And thank God that I have the past that I have. I wouldn't, I'm glad we don't get to redo it because I wouldn't do any of it over again and I'd mess up where I am today. But Thank God I have the past that I have because it has equipped me to be able to help believers who are locked into theological mindsets without a radical revelation of Jesus. And so many of us would have admired Saul. And then comes Paul, having met Jesus on the road to Damascus, blinded, which is what you have to be to the old you. You have to have a season of blindness to the pain of the old you so that you can recover. So that you can grow, so that you can be healed. And he's blinded to the old hymn. And then three days later, his scales come off his eyes so that he can see a new world. And so we're all in processes. Some of us are on the road with a head full of theology and rah rah for God and holding up the banner and, you know, in the right, Mike makes right, Saul Tarsus. And we encounter Jesus. And we got to go blind to a bunch of stuff. Because the first thing that happens, oftentimes, we always think that Jesus just makes people see. But he actually makes sighted people blind, too. Sighted to self, sighted to religion, sighted to performance, sighted to the past, sighted to guilt. He blinds us so that we can have a season. And some of us are in a season of just blinded to all that other stuff and just radically nuts about Jesus. But we don't have any answers, total confusion. And then the, the blinders, that's part of the process. They start to come off, but they don't go back onto your old self. They go onto your new creation in Christ so that you can properly use the old you as dung to fertilize somebody else's future. That's the life of God. Let me close you with one other passage. Go to 1 John. It's a good place to land. I got got other things to read, but I'm going to. I try to read the room, and uh, I know. I know you've been sitting here a while. 1 John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. Did you know that word there in the Greek is closer to donated? He donated the Holy Spirit to you. Ooh. I say use it. And we've seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world, so whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He abides in God. And we've known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and He who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. I, I didn't read this just to read it. I want you to see a couple of things. First of all, the Scripture opens with no one has seen God at any time. This repeats Something that was said in John chapter 1, verse 18, where no man has seen God at any time, but we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. And that verse in John 1 is a verse that follows the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So you know, we had never seen what God looked like, and then we saw Jesus, and now we know what God looks like. 1 John takes it a step farther, that I love. No one has seen God at any time, and then he tells you to love each other which is First John's way of saying if, people, if you want people to see God, they've got to see Jesus. If you want people to see Jesus, they're going to have to see Jesus in you. And how are they going to see Jesus in you? Because you've set up a list of do's and don'ts and you're screaming at the world about how they're supposed to live right? No. Are they going to see Jesus in you because you take a stand for the right and you don't put up with anything that's unholy? No. They're going to see Jesus in you because... You love, and that looks like God, because God is love. And where do we land at the end of the day, loving our neighbor enough that we would do unto others the way we wish it was done unto us? That's the narrow way. Few there be that find it, but I pray God let there be a lot that find it. Because so few of us have found it in the history of the world that if every person that ever lives from now on finds it, We would still be the minority. So let's have a revival (laughs) of Jesus and His love living out through us, loving out through us the challenge of this to the world. Would you bow your heads with me? What a way to end. This is eternal life. Before we pray, I want to tell you true love is not transactional. God is not waiting on you to do so that God can do. Just receive of His love. This is eternal life means experiencing God in Jesus. Start living by watching Jesus. Let Him influence your every moment and your every move. And as you watch how Jesus would do it, you begin to experience eternal life. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for Your children that have gathered together on a Saturday afternoon to just hear about Jesus. I'm, I'm incredibly amazed that any time people come together, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly amazed when they come together to hear me talk about Jesus. I'm just amazed that every time we begin to speak about Jesus, the lifting of the tide in the room raises all boats. You've lifted the tide in the room today. I pray that, Father, as our spirit floats with that raising tide we experience the beginnings of the life of God and as we live this begin to live this out do your work in us cast down every idol in our hearts that we have constructed that we think is God that doesn't look like Jesus give us a reformation of Jesus in this hour in Jesus name amen